Welcome to Interscription. Who knew that lawyering could be both fun and informative? Your loyal podcasting team here at Interscription, that's who. A fond farewell is bid to our Victorian ex-women in our review of part two of The Nevers. A touch of controversy, always good for flavor, is in discussion around The Last of Us. And we dive a bit into Microsoft's ongoing stratagems to acquire ABK. Thanks for staying on this road with us. I think we're raring to go live. Like, what a good setup for us today of just like getting angry and we've got our grievance and we're ready to um to make it entertaining. There's so much, so much anger to be shared. It, it let the hate flow through you, I believe, was something that a fairly decent and extremely popular movie once informed me about. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, you know, we're um, not, was it Equilibrium? The, you know, just yes. that, that one moment. Like, nope, not without incidents. <laughs> then start slicing, slicing people. Yes, yes. more people should see that movie. It's not a well-known movie. It's not. It's so, not. I, I mean, it was of a time when... When there were medium budget movies, like yes. I, I think there, there's, that's kind of a weird place that doesn't exist anymore. And maybe it only exists in streaming services now, like Netflix and such, and where where they just get to have medium budget movies yeah. because they have a wider swath here and there, like the Cloverfield um, in space. Yeah, was that like was medium budget and kind of finishing a thought that wasn't going to get blockbuster treatment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And shadow dropping it on the Super Bowl. I, I really loved that stunt. I, I think shadow drops. We talked about uh, Hi-Fi Rush doing yep. that, you know. And um, I get it. I, that's probably super, super damn hard to do. Like I, I get it. And like that's there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of people to keep quiet you know, about a very you know artistic, passionate project, you know. And uh, no matter what it is, I'm not you know calling either Cloverfield Paradox or Hi-Fi Rush high art, but I am saying it is art, and you know that's 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 tough to kind of keep that under wraps. But um, it's so fun. I, I'm that I liked that movie. I don't you know I don't think any of the Cloverfield movies are like you know like stratospherically amazing. But I I I think that one got a huge uplift by it just being a total surprise and just totally couldn't wait to jump in. Um, yeah, how has your week been? Tell me about your week and all the things about your week. Yeah. So it's been a high octane. You know, I came back from a little vacation, got into a fender bender over the weekend. So it's a little bit banged up. Rest of the family was good. Um, I am off tomorrow and possibly Friday. So I've just been doing like the work, work, work the last three days, uh, staying late and just trying to burn out as much as I can and burning out in the process Mm. um, is pretty much it. But I did over the weekend, I, you know, I was up at my mom's and I took the Steam Deck with me and got to actually play Hi-Fi Rush for, for a good clip um, nice. on the deck on Windows because I didn't have to buy it again that way. Right, right, right. Yes, you will definitely have to, um, I know you. we had talked about you were doing some dual booting fun with the deck and uh, I guess that was uh, about a week ago or so you started playing with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't know that I'm even going to be dual booting much anymore. Mm. Like I'm pretty much just learning to accept that uh, some of the controls uh, just have to be kind of meshed in. But then being able to play my Game Pass games uh, on a mobile device is just 
it's worth whatever pain I'm going through otherwise. You know, and so yeah, the one thing I want to try, there's an app called Hook, I think, that sort of gets Game Pass games into and like universal Windows games, like those not seeable ones, into the Steam interface. Okay. Which, you know, I still think I don't think Avaya or any of these other guys have actually like released their handheld interfaces. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like Windows is still not optimized for a small screen. No. And so like I just it needs some sort of UI layer to just like organize the stuff and really accept the gamepad to move around and make the keyboard easy to pop up and down. But it just doesn't matter. Like it's the difference between being able to play the games I want and not. Yeah. 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 It's it's just that, you know, that's a that's a that's a big section of games that you just have to go buy again, you know. And I, I understand for people who aren't into Game Pass, like that's a non issue, right? I get it. You can just throw that out. But I uh you know, the Epic Game Store stuff, like, you know, I know there's hacks for all this, I, you know, before we get flooded with emails, I know there's lots of ways to get around it, right? Like, it's just the, it's sort of kind of like belies the ease of use of a Steam Deck out of the box, right? Like, they've done such wonderful work on the OS for Steam OS. What is it? Is it just Steam OS now? Is that what we're calling it? I've, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, Steam like, they've OS. done such great work on steam os to make it as user-friendly and console like as possible and so like (laughs) so like you kind of have this devil's deal of like well do you go dropping in the linux desktop do you start you know ripping through you know the, the adding these packages and making all this stuff work to get you know all this other all this other bit to to be supported in a way that makes it more user friendly okay right like that's one that's one option um but you're kind of losing all the consoleness of it by doing that or you go to windows where you have a lot more of that freedom and you have none of those hacks to worry about but windows itself is not nearly as, right. as user-friendly as steam os so like you're kind of losing either way which is super frustrating like there is no clear answer no and that's really it you know for a good chunk of time i was content to just play the games that i wanted to play on steam and you know focusing on things that really didn't need that TV experience, uh, you know, smaller sure. kind of fun games. Um, but I think with the thing that really killed me was Minecraft. Really? Uh, you know, Minecraft was the thing that broke me because you cannot get that on the Steam Deck full stop. Wow. Like you just can't have it. And I have this like ongoing thing where both my kids are playing on the Xbox, uh, you know, in the same world and they both want me to play, but they're, selfish assholes and don't want to split the screen and so like, there's always like this <laughs> fight where you know nobody wants to deal with daddy's broken ass uh, split screen so that i can join them and you know what better thing than to have the steam deck like right there that i can just kind of jump in on and jump into their world and play and they can both be the selfish ungrateful assholes that i rose them raised them to be yes uh, and i can play along but there's like there is no minecraft on steam for linux like there's just not a way to do it in the way that gives you that land thing because like you said yes can you run minecraft java on linux i am sure i I am confident that that will happen but in order to have the LAN awareness and the cross-platform you really need the bedrock edition to be able to do like windows to xbox and that works swimmingly like no complaints so that was the one that really broke me. And then it was just from there, I had Hi-Fi Rush on Game Pass. And why would I go and one, 
buy it and two for such a linear game start it over you know i've got the cloud save too between now the steam deck and the xbox and i can't imagine doing anything else so yeah it's painful you have to use either um that swissed swicd um gamepad overlay or have steam running so that it'll like catch the controls Mm -hmm. you can't do both and some work better than others so it is like we're so fucking close. We're so close. Yeah. I, I, I'm ready for a Steam Deck killer that is Windows first and has back paddle controls. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And really, uh, did you, uh, I'll ask you, did you, uh, when you installed Steam, I know the beta version of Steam has the better Steam OS looking uh, di- uh, yeah. uh, uh user interface is what I'm trying to say. I need more coffee and then I can say uh, words. Um, but yeah, the Steam, <laughs> the new user interface, did you put that on the beta? Yeah, I sure did. And there's some compatibility issues. You know, if you're playing Game Pass games, it's extrapolating the Steam Deck controls to be an Xbox controller. Mm-hmm. And so the Steam button is also the Xbox button, which means every time you press that Steam button to bring out the slide-out menu, it also gives you the Xbox overlay. Ah, which is a giant pain and i'm trying to rebind that to be the other steam button on the other side of the controller but um yeah that's really the only hiccup uh, otherwise it's pretty good and it does automatically overlay the steam keyboard so if you're in the desktop and you hit the left shoulder it'll pop it up which is just a lot better than windows natives like accessibility keyboard that they have Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's like, that's pretty nice. It uses the two trackpads to kind of dual thumb type if you want to, and you can move pretty quickly or you can tap. So um, progress, I'm just going to deal with it having all of the issues that it has, because again, it's, I just rather play the games. I, I mm-hmm. don't want to have to decide that I can't use this to play the games I want. That's the whole reason my entire call to being for the Steam Deck is that I don't get enough time to play games. This is the difference of me playing or not playing games. Sure. Sure. Yeah. If there's a, a, a constituency of games you can't get to all of a sudden, that, that makes it a tough, a tough sell. I, I think, I think I'm, you know, like it was me being ornery and, and grumpy <laughs> shocker, everybody. Um, but yeah, so nuts. Um, but you know, in the beginning and I'm still very ornery and shock and, and just as shocking as before. Um, but, but I, I think, like every month that goes by where the steam deck is now pretty good, right? Like they don't have to be in like running around patch mode anymore. They don't have to be pushing OS updates every week to, you know, fix all kinds of hinky shit that was going on when it launched because they did like when it first came out and they're, they're just trying to ship these things out and get them to people. And they're trying to get all these OS updates to, you know, fix the fan here and fix the, you know, temperature curves here. And like, they're dealing with stuff, right? Like, I feel like, that's done. Like, it seems like that's quieted down now. Like they can yeah. ship them reliably. The The deck works with steam OS just fine. So now's a good time for you to turn your fucking attention over to windows, right? Like go ahead and ship the drivers, do the dual boot thing that you promised you would do last year sometime. And you still haven't done the recovery that you, you know, like to, to move between the two, like you said you would, and you still haven't done like all the stuff to that, that steam support page is just so under, served like the last update i think was in november or something like that 
And all the update was was literally one driver update that they pushed out. Like it wasn't even like they refreshed it with more information because they're just not caring, right? Like they just don't give a shit. And I, I'm I'm frustrated by that. That's not yeah. fair. I, I I feel like it, it. They should be putting their money where their mouth is. Um, and also I put that at Microsoft too. Like Microsoft could be helping here, you know. And I don't know what happens, you know, between them. You know, <laughs> we're not in the room where it happens. We have no idea what their what their conversations are. But I I am. I don't know who's being an asshole here, but I feel like somebody's going to have to stop, you know, like it's just like it doesn't have to be as as handheld friendly as SteamOS, right? Like I'm not yeah. saying that I'm not saying there's there's, you know, a billion something computers out in the world, right? Like I'm sure the amount of Steam decks that's out there is trivial in comparison. And so I'm sure Microsoft is not trying to move mountains to make this work, but I think it's a great you know, faith, you know, a good faith effort is what I'm, is, is man, more coffee. I need more coffee. Yeah. Good faith effort, uh, for, for folks to, you know, kind of make it work. So, um, I don't know, especially for, I mean, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of nerdy geeky folk that are, you know, they're, that are, that are doing this. So like, I feel like they should, uh, you know, capture the early adopters anyway. I think this is a good place. You know, I'm obviously there's a lot of people that would just keep Linux on it, but I mean, you know, like help people along with this. I feel like it would just, it would not hurt anybody. I think it would help in, in some, some, some real ways. Yeah. It's only going to help. And I think the steam deck is really opening the category in a lot of the same ways that the iPhone made me really annoyed when I looked at the Windows mobile device that I had used for, you know, a decade before the iPhone existed. And everybody's like, look, it's got fish and a slide to unlock. And like, you know, I've been doing this shit for a long time. Like there's been mobile, like Windows based handhelds long before there's a Steam Deck, but the Steam Deck caught the imagination, right? And they really hit a form factor that was terrific. Yeah. And I think like for Microsoft, you have an entire category now that people are interested in. You know, the Avaya is Windows-based. Uh, you know, the um, whatever that other one, the tiny one that I was fucking with for a while. Uh, it was like the. Uh, yeah, I don't know what no you're talking name, about. Like, yeah. there's a lot of them. If you yeah. pop on Amazon, there's like four different brands, and they're all the same Chinese manufacturers. So they all look basically the same, but they've got you know. Intel XE chips, some of them are now coming out with proper Ryzen's and mm. actual graphics. So like there's a whole category where Microsoft should be participating in updating Windows so that it makes sense on these small form factors. Everybody's doing Windows because that's where the games are. Like you've already, you've won that argument. Like there is no, there's no competent alternative. And kudos with uh, what, Valve has done to make the Steam Deck work on Linux and a lot of games work really well, but it's a compromise mm -hmm. and Windows is no compromise. And so there's no reason for them not to just turn the switch, you know, and they were doing that like with Windows um, 7, uh, right? Like they started eight, it eight eight. with the, the interface, yep. the touch focus. Uh, they had, you yep. know, um, a push to move in that direction and make it a little more touch friendly. And it's kind of fallen by the wayside. And like, I feel like this is a category that they could own and have a lot of penetration. And it is like these companies are doing the work for them to have a mobile Xbox. Mm -hmm. Like That's they've it. already put in the work having a lot of these games also on Windows, also on Windows Game Pass. And even if not Game Pass, give the buy once, play anywhere. Yep. Like there's a lot of ways where you Windows is the mobile 
Xbox and just like take that next step, you know, maybe make Xbox the desktop Xbox experience more like a Steam experience where that's your interface and just where you go for a gaming, you know, you know, it's like we always say the 10 foot interface, but it's the 10 foot interface really is the same as like the six inch interface. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you hit it a hundred percent. Like I feel like there's just opportunities for partnership here. That's just, and it seems like Microsoft is less and less interested in that too, because if you go from, Windows 8 and 8.1, which had that full tile interface, almost to the exclusion of a real start menu, right? Like in some ways, which pissed a bunch of people off, to Windows 10, which kind of had the best of both worlds. You could click the tablet interface and go to that, or you could just stay on a regular desktop, which was kind of what everybody wanted. And now Windows 11, if you go on a tablet mode, like it's not even really a tablet mode, like you don't evoke it anymore. Like it is truly just not like the 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 like if i like i have a surface book here and if i tear the tablet off all they do is space the icons a little bit like they don't have a tablet interface anymore like they just want you to poke at a desktop with your finger which feels like they should just then be welcoming that on the steam deck in some way like space things out make a better on-screen keyboard um, make that xbox button bind properly and pull up some things that are very console looking you know what i mean on the desktop um i don't know it's weird or or just don't do any of that and just partner with steam right like just say hey you guys are shipping with that let's work together on drivers we will hire people you know like internally we'll just bring people in we'll set up a little incubator six months we'll write the perfect drivers for steam decks we'll just get it out and and it'll auto load steam it'll take care of all the bindings it'll it'll pull in game pass we'll have a link for game pass and we'll just you know we'll be done it's 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 close like it's close in a way that like feels like somebody's just pissed off at somebody i I hate that part but it yeah invariably it feels like a business thing more than a tech thing at this point yeah now i I think we've pretty much beat valve up as much as possible and i do think that the hate is more on valve's side but agreed like Microsoft is just asleep at the wheel on this unless they're going to shadow drop an actual Xbox portable at some point, which maybe, I mean, they've got a pretty friendly relationship with Nintendo, so maybe not. Maybe, maybe we're going to talk about that in the news actually. Yeah. That's that's coming up. Yeah. So that was a very long way for me to tell you how my week was. How are you doing? (laughs) I am good. It's a ranting in. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, um, I, uh, the, I, we're, this was just a reshuffle. We were going to talk about Windows on Deck anyway. We so sure we, are. we just, we're just, this is, uh, it just shows how incredibly flexible we are as grumpy old men that, like that we can also, also just somehow rearrange our topics. So flexible. So fle- like the yoga of podcasters, if you will, the yes. y- yogi, yogis. Yo- yeah. yeah we, we, are, we are, we are yogis. Uh, we yeah, are, yogis. Um, uh, as teachers, I think, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. In stretching, but in, yeah. in stretching the consciousness. Yes, absolutely. I don't want anybody to critique my child's pose, but but in terms of topics, we are ready. Yeah, uh, week was good. Uh, I um, one of the things I guess we'll we'll get to uh, maybe after the break here. Um, I took the boys out uh, to an IMAX and we saw the new Ant Man and Wasp: Quantum Mania nice. uh, movie. Um, got to do that and. Um, no, other than that, just kind of, uh, swinging it. I had taken that day off, um, because, uh, you know, for quantum mania, but also, uh, the boys had, uh, abridged, uh, school schedules on, on Monday. Uh, so it was just kind of, you know, kind of following their, their lead there and, and, uh, 
yeah, so we got to got to do some of that. Um, but overall, I think uh, a pretty good week. Not as bad. Um, got some fantastic uh, ice and snow up here uh, in northeast Pennsylvania. It's very uh, very icy and uh, unfavorable driving conditions outside mm. right now. Um, so uh, yeah, the uh, boys actually uh, their karate was canceled for the evening also. So. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's been most of the week, though. I would say fairly tame, not a whole lot going on. Um, we'll get into some some uh, more talk about what we've been playing and watching, and got some gaming uh, back in, got, got that kind of started and going. And, um, but uh, yeah, nothing too crazy. Uh, I did my taxes. Taxes are important. Wow. Got to do yeah, taxes. Yeah, yeah. So. You got to do them. That's yeah, absolutely yeah. true. And yeah. you, so, do you use software when you do them? Do you usually do them on your own? Yeah, forever, forever, ever, ever. I always, I mean, it was like one of the things that I said, you know, <laughs> I don't, I, I remember when I had gotten my very first job, worked for my stepdad at the um, produce store, as you'll recall, uh, when we were kids and uh, I was what, 15, 16. And my mom had the actual IRS forms, like, you know, had my W-2. She has me writing out the forms by hand and doing every, you know, and doing all that back then. And I did that for her or with her twice, maybe like two years in a row. And I said, there has to be a better way, uh, is what I said. And I, I think for a while I, I used uh, uh, Tax Act, I think I had used for a while because I was very much like, well, we I clearly need a thick client and I need to purchase the software. And you know what I mean? I guess back then things just weren't as web, web focused anyway. But um and then, you know, e-filing was real weird to me. So once I was done with the software, I would always print everything out and put it in an envelope anyway, which was, you know, silly. But at some point, I think it I think it reminded me, I think the last eight years in a row, eight or nine years, uh, maybe longer than that, uh, TurboTax just pop in there. And um, you gave me some fantastic advice about this a while ago um, that it was I had kind of, you know, uh, floated out to you, you know, what should I be doing? And should I, you know, go get an accountant? I should deal with this and, you know what I mean? Whatever. And, you know, of course I've had a move here in the past couple, couple of years and, uh, you know, and my job didn't change. I'm with the same larger company, but they kind of moved me from one business unit to the other. And, you know, and I kind of, I got in my own head about it and I kind of came at you in a panicked sweat about, you know, taxes. And I said, well, should I get an accountant? Who should I talk to and whatever? And you said, well, why don't you just Go do the TurboTax that you've always been doing, and if it starts getting out of hand, then you have time to get an accountant. <laughs> and right. uh, that was like such a very like you know very Zen way of coming about it. Um, almost like a yogi told me about like that, and uh, yeah. And so I, I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And so you know, thankfully, as TurboTax has gotten far more um, you know uh, powerful, I think it's fair to say over the last you know. Uh, half dozen to a dozen years since uh it's yeah. really always served me so uh just pop online knock that out and uh, it's generally pretty uh, pretty good yeah it, it really is i think good enough for just about everybody uh yeah. you know it was only in the past couple of years that i've like started outsourcing at all and only because i also have the business and it's included so doing the personal returns but like it was something i always kind of took pride in like making sure I was getting everything and maximizing. So yeah, I mean, TurboTax is the way to go. It's, it's a shame that it is absolutely a monopoly and there are absolutely no ways to compare it to anything, but you know, that's like everything in our lives. There you go. And there is uh yeah, they're the, the apple of taxes, apple of taxes, the, yes, maybe. Yeah, I, I guess. don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't want to, 
follow that through at all because I'm not no. sure who we're mad at. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't mind being mad, but I want to know where to point it. That's it. That's it. I, I find that when I'm in such a terrible crossroads to be mad at everybody and everything. And then, you know, I mean, everybody gets a taste. You never have to worry. You're, you're never missing it at that point. So yeah, no, that makes sense. That's it. That's it. And boy, do we have stuff to be mad about today. I say we take a break. What do you say about the break? And then we'll come back and we'll be mad some more. I love it. We're just going to jump up and down during the break and get like really fired up and uh, let's do it. That's it. All right. See everybody. So let, let's be mad at stuff. Let's be mad at stuff. That's it. I was, I was like Denzel Washington in the hurricane. I was in the back of my den here, just all jazzed up. I got a mattress. I'm just pounding the shit out of it. I'm, I'm ready to just, let's get in. Let's just I'm get ready. In. I just want to like watch all three Creed movies together. And uh, I mean, I live in Philly, so that's just going to Wawa basically, but that is um, good. <laughs> also we should go to Wawa. We what a great idea. Speaking of things that I'm mad about, it's that I'm not eating a hoagie right now. Right. And having Wawa coffee. Like that's, that would help I don't know out. what's wrong, but it would be more right if we were doing that right now. That's what yeah, I said. I mean, at this point, it feels like we're never going to do it. And speaking of never. Never. It, never. It, it, was, it was, it was weak, but it <sighs> happened. All right. But it happened. We can't take it back. It's not like we're recording this or anything. So, you know. So. Uh, the hidden episodes, the um, the B sides, if you will, the uh, the we acquired them. They acquired them. They they are available to us. We were able to find. Uh, so for all eight of you Nevers fans out there, um, I uh, we the the first half of season one, uh, dubbed part one, uh, was six episodes. Uh, the other six episodes, which I think we covered on the pod before were already recorded, uh, done completely as it turns out, because all the special effects and everything was done. Like the other six were done, complete done. Um, and the, um, and they, and then HBO max did unsurreptitiously, uh, just tossed them to the to the curb gave them to Tubi and Roku are the two services that are going to be doing the free ad streaming television or fast services to play them uh, we got super angry about that last week uh, to chatting about uh, how they just got thrown on in the middle of the day in Eastern Standard Time uh, to be uh, streamed live only no way to get to them on demand and uh so um the internet came through for us we were able to find these other six episodes dubbed part two of season one uh and you and i got to watch them and uh and uh experience them these were not the greatest of quality um relative to what uh i would uh keep procured but they are all we can get right now so um i will hopefully be able to experience and uh uh, hopefully, uh, a ingest better 
uh, uh, versions of the same content yeah. one day. Because uh, there's a couple of times, particularly with the audio, um, where that just was not to... Uh, I know you had a snobby moment about uh, Twin Peaks and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll have some 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 therapy together as, as fellow <laughs> yogis and yep. try to get you over that hump one day. But uh, for how upset you were at watching something in 4 by 3 on a 16 by 9 uh, me watching something in stereo is just as bad. And I get very angry about that. Um, and that's all yeah. you can get right now with these, that's this it. part two. And just a little there. bit delayed. Like I tried everything, you know, to see if it was my stream, but you know, it's really baked right into the audio that there's just like a little bit of the lippy lippy and then talky talky. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. slight, but it's definitely there and it's baked into the stream. Like it survived fast forwards and outboots. Um, it's enough that you can kind of put it out of your head for a little bit, but it sure. was not great. I, I mean, yeah, the quality, it is what it is. I kind of want to talk about the show itself. Uh, Definitely. Because uh, I think we circulated one review, like right when it dropped on Tubi, that very much felt like somebody hadn't watched it or didn't know anything about the show. And so my overall take is this was a decent end to a show that's never coming back. Mm -hmm. um, it did very much that that we didn't ask network thing where they set up a setup for a future season, but mm. it was still very much a conclusion of this story in mm. all of the ways that it needed to be. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was good. I was a little worried about that knowing that, you know, we were like clamoring just to get the final six episodes of the first season and not knowing what the original pickup was or what uh, the showrunners had in mind for it. But I felt like, that didn't leave me feeling miserable after going through this gauntlet to get these six episodes. Yeah. Very, very fair uh, take on it. I feel like maybe what was, maybe there was something certainly long before we knew about it, where it being split up into being a half of a season one and then another half of a season one because of HBO or whatever the hell um, that, that probably set them up for, having this be modular enough that this was going to complete the thrust of season one. I would say that's fair. Like I would say right. like 80 ish percent of everything that was going on has a relatively satisfying conclusion. They, 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 they brought you to, you know, the end of the arcs that we had there. Um, yes. A couple of un, up, open ends of, Hey, we would really like to be back for a season two. There's a couple right. of other things that they, they leave uh, kind of dangling there. Um, but, uh, largely, largely you can come away from this thing satisfied, um, that they will have, you would not have wasted your time going through all of season one because it is like, for the most part, one long movie with just some, some bits at the end, uh, to kind of make you feel like you need to, you know, kind of get involved with, uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, a after, after season movie or whatever, I'd like to be very greedy here, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that we're done with the numbers. I, I think um, we're done with the numbers for sure. So the one review that uh, we saw complained about a couple of things. One, that all of the characters became two-dimensional and vapid, complained that uh, um, the protagonist forgot how to fight so that she could get her ass kicked all of the time. And the other thing was that everybody stopped speaking Victorian. Like, they just started using, you know, 21st century dialect. And... I didn't feel that way about 
any of that. Like, I feel like they just started watching like the Archie reboot because, <laughs> like, yeah. am I wrong in that? Like, that wasn't those six episodes. Yeah, that's not true at all. Yeah, none of those things are true. I, I will say the one thing that I kind of maybe just a little bit felt was that the, um, the editing and I, I'm going to say the editing of the, I thought particularly maybe the last episode and maybe one or two of the others was, a. I don't want to say it was rough, but it was just maybe just a touch more jarring than the near perfect tempo that the show had. Um, and I'm wondering if that might have made it one or two of the scenes feel a little bit weird. Um, and I think that that editing might have been because they probably would have had either some some longer tail on some of those stories or right. some things that may have suggested a season two even more um, than what was here. So there might have been some slight nips and tucks to keep it just a little bit tighter and to just bring this a little bit more to a direct conclusion. Um, and so maybe I could I could nod towards that a little bit. Everybody was still very British and talking super, super Britishy. Um, so that's yeah. not true. Um, Amalia was whooping people's asses that's the entire right. entirety of the six episodes. Like, I, you know, I mean, there was, you know, one or two reasons why she couldn't at, at a couple of points. Um, but other than that, that wasn't true at all. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think I don't think there's any real two dimensional stuff that was happening that didn't really reflect what was going on before. Um, some great uh, acting around the doctor um, and mm -hmm. his uh, his wife and the kid. I thought that uh, hit home really well. Yeah. Um, uh, the cop, um, the kind of heart of gold, rough and tumble yeah. cop, you know, that's in there. I thought he had some excellent turns as well. Um, yeah, I really felt just about everybody did outstanding yeah. work. Yeah, I, every character that was a character worth caring about, you know, Melody's turn was, you know, full development. Um, you know, and Amalia's like kind of while she's unconscious in the last uh, two episodes, kind of coming to terms with, you know, her fractured personality and who she is. Um, penances uh, in turn, you know, with the guy at the end, uh, you know, kind of getting sucked into the tech and, uh, you know, brought in by all of that. Uh, it, it was good. Like, yeah. there's really not a lot to rag on it for. And, uh, you know, to the extent that anybody is, it's kind of undeserved. Yeah, I, I do feel like in a couple of those moments, like as I think through some of what you talked about and a couple other things, like I, if you told me that my, my theory is correct about, about them kind of, you know, tightening up a, a bit here and there because they knew that they kind of had to take it in for a landing. Like there's one or two things I'm thinking of as we're talking about it now that they do ring a bit more like that. Um, but nothing to, to tank what overall I thought was an outstanding show. Um, yeah, it's sad. It deserved a lot better than this. There's just a lot shittier shows on HBO right now, like significantly yep. worse shows, uh, like significantly. Um, I don't know why this didn't stay. Like, it's just a weird thing. Like, I, I it just didn't deserve this. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that does. I think I alluded to this last week, but I don't know what that does for, for, uh, for these creators, the actors and the directors and writers around this stuff. Like, do you ever get back in bed with HBO again? Like, I don't, I, I feel like you go shopping around to an Amazon or a Netflix, you know, which sometimes isn't a lot better, but like, doesn't do this. Like, I don't, I don't. Maybe, you know, I think these companies are paying so much for first season orders 
that like you go where the pile of money is and if they give you the option for season two fantastic you'll take another pile but uh you know that really presupposes that all of these projects are truly like deep passion projects uh, you know joss whedon said his name on how many projects at this point m night puts out nothing but gold as we know and uh, you know he's like the best so at some point like these guys joking aside they have a good idea for a show they want to produce it they want to direct they're going to get a giant bag of money to put the show on netflix or hbo and whether or not it gets caught up for season two really doesn't impact that bag of money at all so i think hbo still gets the work if they pay the people and compete for contracts you know if they're in that conversation um and i guess the only thing that would change that is if you know showrunners start being a lot more pushy about i'm only coming here with a three season guaranteed order <laughs> that's fair i i think that some of the stuff came out in the business uh contract part about this stuff with westworld nevers f boy island and all the <laughs> all the other fantastic properties uh raised by wolves um th- where the reason they were actually nixing the catalog off of hbo is because they didn't want to pay the residuals to yep. the actor directors writers so like that bag of money i wonder when you look at the contracts like do you think that those contracts like i wonder how many of those contracts look like that like how oh, like for all of these and it's probably very different between streaming versus hbo even though hbo is becoming more of a streaming service than ever do a lot of them look that way where you get residuals for every time somebody watches the show you know like uh, because that was the that was a huge reason why hbo wanted to pay them 0 dollars and send them right. over to tubi and 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 uh and roku so like if you're promised a big bag of money, is that is that amortized? I think is the right word I'm using here. Like, is that spread out over? Well, we would give you this upfront cash payment, but instead, because it's going to be on our streaming service, every time somebody watches this, you'll get a kicker. And then now they lost that. In which case, that bag of money is a lot smaller than they anticipated when they first showed up, right? Like, right. So I, maybe it doesn't shy them away from HBO, but maybe it, unless they're a real bit player in the in the grand scheme of things maybe they don't sign those contracts ever again because hbo has shown you know what if you decide to go sell this off to tubi again i won't get my paycheck you know what i mean that's how i live um you know and i don't know what those residuals look like like maybe they got 90 percent of their bag of money before they started and it was only 10 percent residuals coming off of streaming i don't know i nobody knows what the the fine print looked like but but i i'm saying you know that could be a reason for somebody to be let more pause when they're trying to deal with them yeah, I think they'll have to deal with it. They'll definitely have to build it into contracts because I think not just for HBO, but it's kind of a shot across the bow for everybody that if those catalog residuals are a big part of your calculation, then you're going to look for a catalog guarantee. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's going to have to be like, if you want the right to sell this or syndicate it, that's fine, but you must keep it like on catalog. And me as the producer maybe you have decided it's a flop and you don't want to put a lot of energy into it. Tell you what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be hitting Twitter every day and I want to bring viewers in long tail and I'm never going to stop. I'm going to go do conventions. And so, you know, as long as it's there, that's fine. I got it. You know, I'll make the case for myself, but you don't get to take it away. Like you don't get to just rip the cord out and, and dust ball it, you know, like nobody wants their ball taken away. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think they'll have to deal with it, but I think, it can and will be dealt with, but 
there's no reason to think that something like Netflix won't also have to, you know, make that competitive argument and Apple TV, you know, they'll all have to say, yeah, like we guarantee that this will be in our catalog for at least five years or 10 years. If we sell it to someone else, it will be to a network with equivalent audience and with an equivalent commitment to, you know, DVR or catalog streaming. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, you know, so. no, I, I mean, it sucks. I, I really enjoyed Raised by Wolves. I, I We talked about um, Westworld on the show before. I felt that the last season did get a little, little stale and still would have been curious to see what they would have done to bring it home because the, last, the next season was planned and they claim planned all along to have been the last season. Hmm. So, I mean, in that sense, it's once again, you know, casualty of a show not getting to finish its thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, more and more as, as we transition to everything, just being a streaming service, I feel like the contracts, especially for like bigger content are going to be, uh, f- they will be interesting in their, in their construction. Um, I, you would, um, uh, you have to refresh me on the name of that book that you had me read a long time ago. Um, uh, the, the one that was written for the music business by the lawyer, um, uh, you gave me a copy of that to borrow back in the day. And, uh, it talked about, you know, the, all the terrible contracts for, you know, musicians yeah, and, yeah. and, uh, and it was written by an entertainment lawyer. Like, so I, I forget, I forget the name of it, but it was like not how to succeed in the music business, but it was like something like that. It was some kind of, you know, kind of weird name like that. Um, Damn it, I can't remember. We'll, we'll try to remember for the next pod if you don't remember. Yeah, it. no. If, if, do I remember the name of the thing? Is that, is that, is that what <laughs> yeah, you're asking I'm, me? I'm, I'm so disappointed, dude. You always play I'm this sorry. game so this, well. This is like this episode is... one, like not episode 48. Like, no, I, I don't remember this, <laughs> the name of the thing. I remember that there was a book. I sent it to you. I read it. I learned how shitty the music industry is, and and that's about it. Uh, mm, you know the it. um the the how not to get your asshole blown off in the music industry. I don't know. Yep, that should have been the name for whatever it's worth. Like, I was just, you had told me about it. You're like, you really have to read this thing. It's crazy, some of the contracts. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure they're bad, but whatever. And I'm like, I was, it was uh, when I started, I was on the phones at Comcast, actually. And I was, you know, I I know you remember we were living together at the time and I was working pretty late into the evening. And like, you know, so like once the calls kind of died down, I got to, you know, kind of delve into some chapters. And I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with these people? Like, how how do these, like, oh my God, they're just like the, I mean they are they are the devil they are they are so awful like the, the way these contracts are written like they're just like designed to take advantage of people like in their verbiage and their construction like and all that kind of stuff um and and I think it, you had actually like brought that up around the the concept of entertainment law right and like yeah. how what an interesting place that is for legal work you know and, and that then it's got to be kind of a, a you know I'll put uh, air quotes around this an exciting time for for entertainment law in some ways because like i feel like a lot of that stuff is in a big flux right like i feel like you know, or, you know, TV orders for, you know, seasons of television back when there was just the big ABC, NBC, you know, CBS, Fox, you know, kind of those, that's where you went. And then there was HBO and, and, and Showtime. And that was, you know, there's not a whole lot of space in between, right? Like there was like these tentpole networks that were making these big orders for seasons and that was it. And then, 
of course, streaming, you know, kind of radically upsetting the game there and, and changing things around a lot. Having entire seasons filmed and then being released, uh, like, must have changed the contracts a lot. Um, and now having so many different streaming uh, services that do a mix of weekly episodes versus all at the same time, you know, drops. And, like, I feel like all those contracts are probably hugely varied. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, in, and then the size of who you're getting, right? Like, you know, like, I, um, you recommended uh, For All Mankind, uh, that mm -hmm, show, mm -hmm. and uh, Ronald Moore, right? Like, it's it's Ronald yeah. Moore from uh, Battlestar Galactica fame. Um, and I saw his name when that popped up, and I was like, oh, wow. Like, he probably got to, and same thing with M. Night, right, for Servant. Like, they probably got to walk in there and talk to Apple, who is launching a a brand new service with Apple TV plus with big bags of money because Apple has big bags of money. And I'm sure that those contracts were very cushy for everybody, right? Like, and they were very comfortable, but I imagine when you look at something like a Netflix who is kind of old hat with this now, you know, has been doing it like their contracts are probably much more, um, svelte and, uh, you know, very, uh, very specific and have, you know what I mean? Like they're probably not that, you know, there's not crazy contracts with Apple too, I'm sure. But, but I'm, but Apple is in that very new money kind of just throw a lot yeah. of money at this problem, get a lot of content on here. Let's just build a, co a catalog with a lot of names, right? Like let's get it there. Um, and you know, some of it's been outstanding severance, still one of my favorite TV shows yeah. right now in recent memory. Um, so some of it has really hit, um, but it, I think it's just interesting. Like, so I, again, I don't want to say entertainment law is exciting in the, in the, in the, in the, the direct sense of that word, but, but I imagine it is much, it's much more interesting these days than it was, you know, 20 some years ago. Yeah. I, I certain I don't want to think that it's any less exploitive than it is. And, you know, I think the thing with the music industry versus the film and TV industry, uh, you know, when you're a band or an artist cutting an album, that's a very fundamentally intimate thing, right? Like if you're a solo artist who's, you know, doing acoustic music or recording, writing your own stuff, or you're a band of, you know, five to seven people who are together in this thing, that's the unit, right? And you go into a studio, maybe you, you've you got funded studio time. And so you've got an engineer and you've got a producer who's going to tighten it all up. That's cool. When you get into TV, movies, you've got producers all over the place. You've got funding it. You've got directors, you've got cinematographers, you've got grips holding microphones and best boys here and there. And then you've got the actors and crew and special effects designers. And every one of those stakeholders has some different interest, some different piece of the pie. You know, the residuals for these shows were largely where the actors were getting paid more so than, you know, the director, I'm sure, got his piles up front, right? Guaranteed. It's it's more like a, a sports team, I think, than, you know, a solo thing. You know, a prize fighter, you know, as an agent and is getting boxing contracts is music. The football or basketball team is movies where you've got just so much more organization and different ways where the coaches have a contract that isn't built on industry standards and it can be whatever the owners want. And then players in different sports all have collective bargaining agreements that, you know, go right through that. And so you've got SAG after like the Screen Actors Guild and directors are treated differently than actors. So it is a fucking just Matroska doll of exploitation, I'm sure, all the way down. And it only matters how much you matter to the project and that's how much buying power you have. And um, yeah, I think it's exciting. I still think that 
it's very possible that the truly creative people aren't the ones that are making the most money out of this. And sure. yeah, I, it's weird, you know, with streaming, things like Bandcamp and SoundCloud like have kind of democratized music in certain ways. You know, you can cut your own album and you can get it on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Nobody can stop you from doing it. Like you need to maybe pay like 500 bucks to a distributor to get it up there and fielded. Um, you can record a podcast and put it out on all of the major podcast outlets and nobody can stop us. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do it. We don't need a manager. We don't need a record company or a label or or need like a radio station to broadcast us and pick up our show. We can just do it. And I feel like TV movies are sort of the last holdout where there's so much fucking infrastructure behind it that there is no place for that. Like you can't really put a series on YouTube or TikTok. Like you can experiment and do kind of avant-garde shit, but you're not going to get a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of budget projects that are really worth watching that just didn't get picked up by someone else to get distributed. And that's a shame, but it also keeps viewers from having no way of knowing what's worth watching. (laughs) So it's that sort of, uh, it's the democratization of content creation is amazing for the barrier to entry, but then the, uh, the separating the wheat from the chaff, the ability to, 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 uh, organize said content now that there is exponentially more of it, uh, becomes an entirely different platform problem. Um, so yeah, yeah I see what you mean. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's just what, you know, Mr. Peanut is doing with his bags of money is, you know, he's choosing who to pay and he's, he's, he's a taste setter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He tells us, he tells us where to go and what so, to do. So what is, Quantum Mania. Is this just another way of you telling me that I have to play Quantum Break? And uh, that's not- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am trying to say that all the time. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's sort of like a, a hostage note that if you <laughs> go back right. to any of the video for any of our <laughs> Zoom calls, like I'm wearing a different T-shirt. That if you spell them all out over the that's past it. 47 episodes, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just yeah, play Quantum Break, please. Um, so yes, uh, so this is. Uh, Marvel movie, brand new Marvel movie came out this past weekend, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Ant-Man and Wasp Quantum Mania. I will be the third Ant-Man movie. Um, it also kicks off phase five of the Marvel movies. So, uh, and TV shows because the TV shows are part of the phases. Um, so you will have had to do all of your homework all now, not just movies. Um, so this kicks off phase five. This is the first. Uh, I, so the end of phase four was the uh, Black Panther, uh, Black Panther, Quantumania, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever uh, was the end of phase four. Um, and so this hmm. begins phase five. Uh, this um, is absolutely an Ant-Man movie. Um, I to coin a phrase that I had learned from a Steve Martin and Martin short, uh, stand-up special. Um, I was very whelmed by quantum mania. Um, it is, um, it is perfectly cromulent, uh, uh, Marvel fair. Uh, it God. is, it is, it is, it is what 
it said it was going to be before I got there. Um, and I, 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 you know, when it is the one reason why Starbucks, uh, has done well for itself. Every time you go to a Starbucks, you know what you're going to get in the same, very overpriced, slightly stale, not all that flavorful coffee. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you go in Kansas city or if you go into Boston or if you go into Miami, you're going to find a Starbucks. It's probably going to be that. And you can, you can bank on it. It's going to be that everybody will dress the same. Every shop will look like some permutation of the the same thing. Every employee will be the same kind of employee. Every drink will taste exactly like you expected it to be. Um, and this was that. It was. I I thought the first Ant Man, um, Peyton Reed being the director, um, and uh, Paul Rudd is a funny. You know, he's a funny guy. Um, I, I have never liked his whole you know, band of assholes that run around with their silliness, you know, and all this stuff when he's in a project and he's not really the main guy, I think I've enjoyed some of his stuff more. Um, when it's his movie, I don't know that I've really ever cared, um, all that much. Um, but I think he fit very well. He was a good choice for that first movie. I thought that that worked pretty well. Um, the second one was a little bit odd. I think that was at a time when I wasn't really exactly sure what we were doing with all the Marvel stuff. Like it right. seemed a little strange, um, but it, it worked just fine. This worked just fine too. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, 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 it was, it was, it was, it was fine. You're, you'll have to see it anyway. So it doesn't really matter what I say, but it's uh, like, uh, I even, I texted with Eric about it afterwards just to say that same thing. I thought this was a, this was a Marvel movie, like another Marvel movie. And I, I, I don't uh, like Thor I, love and thunder felt exactly that way too. Are, are we just saturated with Marvel? Well, I would say love and Th- thunder for me was actually like, like I didn't like that one very much. Like I thought it was actually kind of falling apart in places for me. Like I think it was broken in places that was like overly, Hey, look at me. We're trying to be funny now. Um, this didn't do that at least like this seemed to want to kind of keep the jokes, you know what I mean? Mostly in line with where they should be and keep the serious where it should be and, and whatever. I, I, uh, I would say that one of the things that was kind of weird about here, I, you know, try to keep being, you know, it would be fair to say that for the most part, a lot of the Marvel stuff is pretty um, tame and family friendly as it is a Disney property, right? Like, I feel like Marvel stuff is generally that um, there is this whole thing in where they kept saying the word dick a lot in, in quantum mania, like in, in rapid succession in this one part near the end of the movie. And I got to thinking like, like, my eight-year-old giggled at it like because he knows that that's a bad word and that was kind of it but like i was like it's kind of weird that they had to keep saying dick over and over like in in a way that just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me i kind of had this sort of prudish uh thought around she hulk and how i felt like a lot of her kind of tinder dates and stuff was like a weird tone to take for how marvel is is a little bit safer you know what i mean in ways that like maybe some other properties are not um and so it's like weird to have to consider that all of a sudden, like that there has to be that going on. But I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Bill Murray's in it and he was kind of funny. Like, I, like, but I, I, it's just, I don't know. It, it's weird. Like I, I like Wakanda forever was a good movie. I feel like in parts, I thought that there was like, they do a cold open and cold close in that movie that I thought was like, uh, 
the right way to handle a movie that had to sidestep the the real life death for uh, Chadwick Boseman. And I, I thought that that was, it was artistically well handled, but I even thought that movie was like, I don't know, this is good, but this isn't, you know, like there were just parts of it that were outstanding uh, on top of a movie that was also just, yeah. again, cromulent. It was very fine. It was fine. We were, everything was fine. I'm glad we had a fine Marvel movie. I just, I don't know how many more fine Marvel movies I can sit through before I start to feel like, you know, and so this is the beginning of phase five and they have all of phase five and phase six, um, uh, all established as what they're going to do and where they're going to go. There was also, I didn't put it here in the pod notes. I don't know that we'll have time to get into it because you know, we're already starting to go a little bit long. And we have some other stuff to get to, but um, there was uh, a note, Bob Iger, I guess uh, he's come back to Disney. Um, and there's a big financial thing with him coming in, chopping 7,000 jobs out of Disney. Um, and uh, in that Kevin Feige, I think is is the way to pronounce his, his last name, mm-hmm. um, who's kind of head of all the Marvel stuff. He's sort of that the the tastemaker uh, for uh, Marvel stuff. He is the Mister Peanut of Marvel. Um, he is uh, he has said that they're going to uh, start spacing out more of the Marvel stuff. So this year we're only going to get Loki season two and Secret Invasion. We're not going to get any other Marvel stuff this year um, for TV shows, and then we're only going to get. I think one more movie, um, which should be the Marvels, um, with, uh, Captain, it's the next Captain Marvel movie. Right. Um, and I think that's it for, for that. I mean, I guess the new Spider-Verse movie will be out, but that's not really the same thing. It's animated. Yeah, I'm but, really surprised with the show, right? Because it's been a while since we've had a show, right? Yeah. I mean, I think since She-Hulk, right? Like, I think that's where it sort of stopped and, yeah. um, yeah. So that is kind of strange. Um, but anyway, I think Loki season two comes up pretty soon. Um, and then Secret Invasion will probably be by the end of the year. Because they have to kind of, now that Disney Plus is in the thing, they have to kind of uh, bounce back and forth between Star Wars and Marvel and Disney stuff. Like they have to move around so that it all has kind of, you know, whatever breathing room they're going to give it. But anyway, they specifically said that it was all, the only thing they were doing this year. So with phases five and six, like you've got, I assume they're still going to have a lot of that content, but it sounds like they're going to have more breathing room between it. And maybe that's good. Maybe it's like, I mean, I think they did great. I love all the, uh, it's not, you know, with, with the exception of some, you know, I didn't love love and thunder. I didn't love she Hulk, but none of it was like broken to the point that I was like, I'm never watching this again, like all the DC stuff. But I, I think, I think that like this breathing room might be what they need because after phase three, when they finished it with the, um, uh, Avengers double, you know, with, uh, with, uh, infinity war and, uh, and right. I felt like that was kind of like a, you know, that's a beat right there. Like that's a place that if I were to push people through Marvel movies, um, like that's where I would stop them and say, Hey, after this, you have to really kind of like comic stuff a lot. Cause <laughs> I don't know that there's like as much to talk about after here in a way that's just like, Oh my God, you totally missed this thing. You have to see this thing. Like, I feel like that's a place where you could just sort of stop and just say, yeah, we, we got all the Marvel yep. we need, you know? Um, but I don't know. It's a, so anyway, quantum mania, it was, it was a Sounds Marvel movie. Great. It has Paul Rudd in it. And you know, you, you're not going to do awful there. I, I don't want to put too much spoilers in it, but I will say that, that, uh, Jonathan majors, um, very good actor. And he, uh, played Kang. Um, he was in, do you, you watched, um, Loki season one, right? You did, did. Loki. Yep. Um, so he was the baddie kind of at the end there. Yep. Um, you saw him, he was the guy from, uh, um, Lovecraft country and a couple other projects. Um, so his turn there, Kang is like a multiverse 
villain. So he's, there's lots of Kangs. There's not just the one. Right. Um, and, uh, so he, not that one, but there's another Kang that is here. And it, and so when you see him, like it makes sense that you'll see him because there's supposed to be multiples of him. Um, by the end of it, once you get through all the mid credits and post credits stuff, um, you realize that Jonathan majors had landed maybe the sweetest gig in all of Marvel. Like he's going to be in a lot now, like a lot, like without, without getting too into right. quantum mania, like, like he's, he will be working for some time unless he screws that up. Like he's got a lot to do, uh, all of a sudden in a way that I did not realize uh, until the movie was over. Um, so, uh, for whatever that's worth, it's, it's just kind of an interesting turn. So good on him, uh, and his yeah. agent, uh, he's got, he's got, uh, he will have a very steady, uh, Disney sized paycheck to come for a very long time. Right. Be, like you said, uh, unless he fucks it up because it would be just as easy to say, Oh, these Kangs look different than the other multiverse Kangs. In fact, these Kangs look like a different actor entirely. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Such a weird multiverse thing that we wrote for a minute and a half and totally changed it. Yeah, I guess that's true. They really could just completely. Yeah. So, now they all look like Paul Rudd. How weird. <laughs> like They could just, you know, they could just change it, I guess. But uh, anyway, yeah, it was fine. You'll watch it no matter what I say. And, you yeah. know, like that. <laughs> but it was uh, it was something that was it was good. You know, generally speaking, outside of the weirdness with them saying dick a lot, like it was good to watch it with the kids. We, we, we did. We did have fun with it, you know, in the ways that marvel is typically fun for the kids too so it's good yeah it's i I mean it really is like a a trip to six flags like it's always going to be reliable and fantastic and maybe not the sheen of like disney world but also it's a drive you know you can get there and go Mm -hmm. and have fun um last of us uh, still appointment viewing Mm -hmm. hitting Mm -hmm. it hard um Mm -hmm. some controversy on this episode because i guess they cast a person of color in a white role in the video game and uh, i mean did you catch this story or care at all about what anybody was whining about yeah uh, from what i understand so i don't remember the actress's name she was in true blood um she was uh, she ran the bar in, in true blood and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so she is she was the actress that they chose to portray um, Tommy, who is Joel's brother, uh, Tommy has a significant other now that, uh, right. um, and that you meet in this, in this episode. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of spoilers here. Like they, they, they meant to go meet Tommy. That's part of what they've yeah. been doing for going yeah, across the country last week's trailer. So, and it was in last week's trailer. So anyway, they found Tommy and you also get to meet Tommy's significant other. And it's this actress, um, the, the actress, I guess, if you want to use that term in the last of us, the video game, um, was, uh, portrayed as being white in the game. Um, and they chose a black actress to, uh, to, to portray her. Um, you and I traded a link earlier. Um, and I, I don't remember who picked this up or who the, uh, person was that was talking about it, but I'm pulling that up now. Um, and I guess the controversy such that, uh, it's allowed to even be called that was, uh, let's see, this was, uh, it was on Newsweek of all things. It looks like, um, was supposed to be the, what, what picked it up. Um, and anyway, the, that it was called pandering, um, that this isn't progress at all. Um, 
And I don't know. I think the thing for me is, is that a, there's a lot of people who've not played the video game that are watching this TV show that have That's no right. idea what color the, the actress was in the game. Number one, number two, I don't think anybody was holding this up as the paragon of progress. I don't think that was at all the point here. This is just a good actress. There's nothing inherently white or black about that character. Right. So, you know, th that doesn't, that is also something that was not really addressed in the narrative of the show, right? Like this is just a human being um, that is, you know, a significant other of one of the somewhat protagonists of the show, right? And and the video game, that's all. That's all we got. That's all we're, we're talking about. We're not like we're not worried about that part period like we didn't we didn't, we didn't even bring that part up so i i feel like it, it felt almost like an attack in this uh, this article um i guess the the story was by a writer named alex miller um and uh i just i just fundamentally disagree i don't think that this was the place to uh get upset and, um i feel like that more and more about a lot of things um but uh, but it feels strange. Like it it started to the article started to go into a, a rant about you know how uh, you know there's they're gonna recast Ariel in the live action Little Mermaid and they're gonna have someone who's black and I and that that was gonna you know and that that's also pandering and that's a problem and they you know they should be telling black stories instead um, and I I don't know I, I I guess it depends on how it's being presented and how it's being offered to the general public. If this right. is something that we are offering as, hey, we fixed racism because we put a black Ariel in, in Little Mermaid, then yes, I think Disney needs to sure. go on on the on the on the pike for that, right? Like that's stupid. That's a that, there's there are much more systemic issues that need to be uh addressed worldwide. Um but I don't think it was. Like I don't think that's the case. And I don't think that these things are in any way uh functionally harmful unless people are doing that with it. And so if the audience is also saying, oh, cool, we have a black Ariel, I guess we fixed racism, that's also stupid. Um, but if nobody's saying that and we're just enjoying the content for what it is, um, then let's enjoy the content for what it is. I don't think we have to uh, look at something that is just fine. And also, by the way, something that uh, if they were to swap out a uh, black character for a white character or a white character for a black character, 20, 30 years ago, uh, would have been a, a lot of news and it would have been called progress at some point. Right. Like right. I, I, uh, I don't think that that needs to immediately turn into, we solved it, but I, I don't, I don't think that it has to be bad. Right. I think that it's just, that, that's where I came off with this. I felt that it was, yeah. it was a little bit, it was a, it was a stupid place to fight. I don't think we have to fight here. There's plenty of places to fight. Yeah, it was definitely a stupid place to fight. It, you know what it felt like? And this is just my, old man tinfoil hatting of all of it is that there's this push that characters should be played only by actors who represent those beliefs or that uh, orientation. And so trans people should only play trans characters. Gay people, lesbian people should only be allowed to play those gay or lesbian characters, which, um, you know, note to Nick Offerman, like it's the same kind of, uh, virtue signaling that you know he took a role that somebody who is actually gay should have had and right. the thing is at a certain point we're sort of eroding this concept of the thing called acting mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. like if people mm -hmm. can only play characters that line up with them and i listen i absolutely agree with it on race and whitewashing um with things that 
are culturally or intentionally supposed to be part of a culture. Um, you know, if you've got uh, an Asian character, you know, whitewashing avatar doing some of these things where like maybe you should be within that cultural piece. I get it, like, because that's kind of the purpose of it. But I think there's also a very clear and easily determined delineation where, like, you don't have to break out your spectacles and say, I don't know, is this character defined by their race or culture? And, you know, it's like a pretty easy test. Like, does this have anything to do with this character? Or, you know, in this case, Last of Us, was this character just drawn one way in the video game and that had nothing to do with who the character was. So let's just audition actors and give it to the person who's the best fit for the role. Sure. In which case, is it progress in the sense that they're not saying, well, this person was white in the video game, so we best, you know, hand it off to Whitey, even though you had the best audition, or just fucking forge forward because she came in and knocked it out of the park for what they wanted out of the role. I mean, in that sense, like, is it progress in a soft sense? Yes, you know, like progress with a lowercase p, but it's also progress in the sense that we didn't have to have an article about it. Like Disney or HBO didn't go out and put her on the press circuit to see how they're shaking things up, you know, and I think that's like, that's important. And I think people who are straight can play gay folk. Uh, um, Michael C. Hall uh, did for years in Six Feet Under uh, admirably. Uh, you know, like that's okay. And I don't think that he cost a gay person that role any more than somebody who's gay playing someone straight is costing that role. Like every guy in porn, just about ever, um, to put a, not to put the left turn, (laughs) man, oh man, I I promise you, I was listening the whole time. You didn't have to pull the (laughs) e-brake. I did, dude. I I did. You've given me a hard time. Like if I've been drifting and I just added fucking, I just want to make sure I just, yeah, that's a, that's, that's uh, that's, yes. Yes. I agree with you. Um, (laughs) But but let me actually, let me full circle this. Uh, I, 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 I want to say I can't wait, but (laughs) go ahead. Because whether or not something is cultural appropriation or just giving the role to the right character, the right actor is very much like the Supreme court stated so many years ago in a seminal case on pornography. I'll know it when I see it. Aha. Aha. Whew. Whew. That's, That's great. For, for everybody who can't see the video podcast that we don't have, he pretty much walked away from his That's mic it. after that because full, that was it. Full Costanza is That's what it. I did there. Yep. Full Costanza. Um, so, yeah, I know we've got um, a little bit more here. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order is the other one, but do you want to hit on that or do you want to jump to some of this news stuff before we wrap? Yeah, I want to put, I'm going to do a, let's do a hard drop to a break here. I'm going to skip Jedi Fallen Order until next week. I did take a huge chunk out of it and I'm almost done, but I figure maybe I, since we're running late uh, on, on on topics and stuff, I'll, I'll come back with that game being beaten next week so I can talk a bit about it in a, as a preface to the next uh, Jedi uh, game coming out. So, uh, uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, let's drop a break real quick and then we'll uh, come right back. Love it. And now it's news time. News time. Time for the news. Can you use this news? 
you can use this news. I'm going to use this news uh, as we speak about the Activision Blizzard King acquisition that Microsoft is in the process of negotiating. Just um, trying. Like the horse is dead and we were just like dragging it over the finish line by its neck. Uh, it really is uh, just at this point, Microsoft is an easy target. They're the old familiar enemy from the Netscape days that the EU and US uh, you know, consumer affairs are just jumping on it like they don't jump on anybody else. Uh, consolidation and train companies, airlines, uh, HBO just dropping shows left and right. But Microsoft, we show up for. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, they, uh, schadenfreude is strong, uh, with, uh, with, with Microsoft, unfortunately. Um, so we've definitely covered this topic a few times. And so I want to treat this mostly as like, uh, what's been happening lately uh, on this, uh, the, the, the latest in, uh, in, in Microsoft's, uh, uh, mission to make sure that Activision Blizzard King is part of their uh, gaming empire. Um, so, brief uh, review: this sixty-eight point seven billion dollar acquisition um, that's been floated about. Um, there, um, the there's been pushback uh, from. Let's see, where was it? Uh, the uh, UK's, uh, or I'm sorry, the EU um, has an official objection. Um, the FTC uh, over here said that they were potentially going to sue um, to block it, um, and the UK is also supposed to be stepping into their their the CMA, the Competition and Markets Authority, um, and so all of them are saying probably no, but they're also saying uh, that uh, there may be. Uh, concessions that Microsoft can offer in order to make this happen. Um, in any case, uh, there was an EU meeting that happened this week um, over in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, Microsoft was there. Sony was there. Uh, and uh, they were all sitting at a table and uh, probably having wonderful Belgian beer um, that uh, I, if I'm jealous about anything about that meeting, I'll definitely put beer at the top of it for sure. Um a lot of bits of mudslinging coming out of it that are just small bits of leaks of things of what may or may not have happened in those rooms. Um, but on the way in, uh, Microsoft actually got two things over the finish line. Um, they had spoken and we had spoken about it, I think, uh, on this pod. It was actually when you were over here the one time we did the yeah, live pod yeah. um, where Microsoft had said that they were going to uh, offer Nintendo and Sony both a 10-year deal for Call of Duty um, should the acquisition go through so that if you know they this happens and uh, Activision Blizzard King is part of Microsoft, Call of Duty is now a Microsoft property, they're guaranteeing that wherever Sony and Nintendo are for the next 10 years, all the way to 2033, which would be when my youngest son is graduating high school, uh, you could still get Call of Duty in all the places, is what they were saying um, at that time. So uh, as of this week, they actually inked the deal with Nintendo. So that's actually now been put into writing and it is signed contract here between Nintendo and Microsoft now. So it's a done deal. Um, they are doing that 
irrespective of whether or not they're going to have Call of Duty because the, the, the acquisition right. hasn't gone through, but they're, they've already inked the deal before they even have the thing to sell. Um, so that's there. They also did kind of an interesting thing. So NVIDIA, uh, makers of the uh, video cards, they, the NVIDIA Shield that I use for a streaming device out there, um, they also actually are responsible for, outside of being one of the more popular PC video cards um, that are out there, uh, that are you know used by gamers. Uh, they also uh, have the Tegra uh, chip that powers the Nintendo Switch. Um, not sure that that's super relevant, but they are obviously a very big company. They've been pushing back on this um, uh, deal as well. Uh, more just grumbling. They're not really asked uh, um, you know for their uh, buy-in as much as their opinion um, in in all these proceedings. As you know, all these various uh, regulatory bodies are. Uh, you know, soliciting feedback from the industry with you know, big air quotes around industry. Right. Um, and so NV- NVIDIA had pushed back and said, this is probably not a great deal for gamers. So another deal got inked. Um, and I'll just read this uh, from Polygon's uh, story that kind of covers a rather large swath, swath, swath of this information. Uh, and uh, I'll read this paragraph. Microsoft used every means at its disposal on Tuesday, February 21st to push its acquisition of Activision Blizzard forward. It announced it had signed a deal with NVIDIA to make Xbox PC games, including Activision Blizzard titles like Call of Duty, available on the GeForce Now cloud gaming service, which is powered by NVIDIA, a direct rival to its own Xbox cloud gaming. Uh, This is the first step Microsoft has taken to calm regulators' concerns about it establishing a stranglehold over the cloud gaming market, as opposed to the availability Call of Duty uh, uh, on rival consoles. Um, So... That's fascinating. That's yeah. yet another place for them to kind of push it out there. We already have uh, Gabe Newell from uh, Valve fame, uh, runners of Steam, uh, as we talked about on the top of the pod, uh, saying that he believes in Microsoft. He believes that Phil Spencer is going to do what he said he's going to do. So cool. We we have a huge PC platform. I'm sure he's going to ship Call of Duty here because he said he would. Yep. Um, so they're lining up a whole bunch of people, right? Like a whole bunch of people. They're lining up everybody but Sony because Sony won't play, right? Like they're, so everybody else in the room saying, yeah, this is a good idea. Um, what do you think? I mean, is it enough yet? Have we gotten enough uh, buy-in from the rest of the industry that Sony's whining is not going to be uh, sufficient? I mean, I think really the only whining you have is Sony. So Uh, when it comes right down to it, like they're the ones that are kind of drumming this up and it is just this inbuilt Microsoft bias because the reality is they are bending over backwards to, I mean, they're all but saying we will put Call of Duty in a lockbox. Like we will wall it off or we won't even, we won't even touch Call of Duty. You all can have Call of Duty. Like what they really want is King. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know I mean? That's, that's the reality here is that's what they care about. They're looking 10 years down the road where people aren't going to be playing massive console games in Call of Duty and they're looking at things like Fortnite that you can play on your iPhone, right? Well, yeah. you could play on your iPhone. Now you can play it on your Android phone only, but different lawsuit, different day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so it's, Sony is doing a masterful job at defining the rhetoric on this and making all of this about Call of Duty and what's really fascinating is all of this, uh, you know, making this a cloud offering. That's a place where Microsoft differentiates itself. And so 
not saying, you know, you can sell this on your hardware store to download onto a Windows device like Steam or your rival console like Nintendo or Sony, but to say you can also have this as part of your cloud setup. And if you want to pay us the royalties and charge a subscription or you want to charge people to download it, like that's up to you. Like you can do that however you want really underscores just how silly these complaints are uh, when you really kind of like tear it down to the studs because there is the complaint effectively is we just don't want the deal. It's not that it has any impact. They are contractually writing out every piece of it and they can't talk about King because Microsoft doesn't make phones. Right. Right. So like that's why it's all about Call of Duty. It's just a it's a title that people who don't play games, they know what that game is. They've heard it. They've seen their nephew, grandson, whoever play Call of Duty. You know, it's in the news. And so it's just an easy boogeyman that uh, Microsoft is just going to come away and take Call of Duty away from your three-year-old daughter. And mm-hmm. like, first of all, good. She shouldn't be playing Call of Duty. She's too young. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Microsoft's the hero there. That, that's right. That's that's all part of family safety, guys. Yep. <laughs> but right, like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, it's not Apple complaining that hey, we're gonna lose Candy Crush on the iPhone. Right. Right. And right. That, and like that's what this is ultimately all about is the mobile play, and that's why I think. It's ultimately going to get to a point where Microsoft is going to concede everything that is asked of them, and then it's going to be on these regulators to look like assholes if they still don't allow the deal, because Microsoft has all of the room in the world to concede all of this stuff. Like It's it's a rounding error for them to say, all the Call of Duty, all the Activision, all the Blizzard titles on all of the consoles all the time. You want to give us more money? We want to make more money. Love it. And nobody's complaining about the mobile part of the deal. And so mm-hmm. like they can just give it all up. So I don't know. I I was surprised. I think um, you know, the UK was really focused on the cloud piece of it. And so the NVIDIA deal is really interesting there because it's directly giving another cloud service a 10-year contract to all of the titles. Yeah. So that yeah. really guts it. And I think there is a, you know, I think the, their cloud service is a majority of the cloud streaming, especially with Google getting out of it. Uh, you know, there just isn't a whole lot of other, there aren't a whole lot of other players that are really active in that. So I think Microsoft does have a majority and I can see where the fear of them just taking that and turning it into a true monopoly could come from. So doing this with the only other player really that's still standing, you know, we don't have Encore anymore. Sony doesn't have an offering that matters. So it's a good move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that <laughs> if Sony wants to play ball and Sony said, well, you have to put it on our cloud port platform, they would do that too, right? Yeah. Like uh, you, like there was a, there was a, a interesting number that came out of this. There's a lot of stuff that's coming out of this and, um, uh, I meant to ask you about this before we go too long, but um, let me spit this point out first yeah. that they're, they have a rough, it was 69 to 31 global market share split between PlayStation and Xbox in terms of consoles sold, um, which is a big difference, you know? And so like, that's, you know, them saying, Hey, 
you know, <laughs> Sony has nothing to worry about. They're already the market leader. They already have a ton of dominance and you're not regulating Sony ever for anything. Like, so, you know what I mean? Like we're not in a place where we're going to eclipse anybody. We're so far behind right now in this split that it's not that big a deal. Um, but I, I mean, there was a, a piece and I don't know if it's in this Polygon article, but there was a, yeah, here it was. Um, the, let's see. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know here. Um, got it. Um, so there, were, <laughs> so I guess in, in kind of with Sony pushing back and just saying, no, I don't think this should happen. Um, Microsoft, uh, uh, I guess was trying to subpoena, um, internal Sony documents, uh, including performance reviews for Sony executives, um, to actually like, like really like spell out, like, like what, you know, like what the internal politics of Sony is around this whole thing and like where their incentive plans are and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, I guess Sony, of course is Sony came back and said that this is harassment and this is not an employment case. So you can't ask for any of that. And, and it was kind of pushing back, but it was kind of interesting, like from a legal perspective. And I wanted to get your take on that part. Like, like them, them like kind of, that was a bit aggressive as far as I'm concerned out here. And maybe Sony wants me to think that, but it seemed aggressive for Microsoft to subpoena, uh, these kinds of documents from Sony, you know, that's like, like performance reviews for Sony execs is, seems like a pretty, pretty deep, uh, ask, uh, throughout all this. Yeah. I guess my question is, you know, what was their reason for the ask on the one hand? The other thing is, uh, to talk lawyer for a second, um, Discovery is meant to be broad, and uh, discovering information doesn't mean that it's admissible. And so when you think about discovery, like basically, if you've got two companies that are at suit or in conflict, or two people that are at suit or in conflict, you're supposed to open the books and let the other side look at everything. And then there's a very good chance that when you actually get to court, the judge is going to say, you can't fucking use that. That's garbage. Like that's personal, private information that doesn't have any probative value to the case, but they still get to see the whole picture so they understand what is relevant. And so maybe they're going after these things um, because executive performance reviews are based solely on how much they dragged Microsoft on Call of Duty. Got it. Right? Like, so, you know, they're looking for something to see is there a thread here? You know, is there a pattern where Sony is doing something intentionally and actually incentivizing their executives to play dirty or to support monopolies or exclusives? And in the performance reviews, you're going to have those conversations with the executive and their superior, like talking at a very high level about goal setting. And so none of that is to forgive or bless or not forgive or bless. It's just, you know, I think the shit that is being requested in discovery is a silly press release just because it's being asked for, because you're basically asking for everything. Like you want to see everything and then you'll figure out whether or not we can use any of it. But all of that's going to be like the other thing too, is you have a discovery confidentiality order where the two companies aren't even supposed to be talking to the press or anybody else because they are sharing proprietary stuff between them that can't be used for competitive advantage. So everything is very like, you know, cone of trust. And so putting out a press release, like, can you believe they're looking for performance reviews is 
probably going to get them yelled at by a judge anyway. Got it. Got it. You know, it has no purpose other than to frustrate the other side's ability to conduct that discovery to figure out what they need. And that's what discovery is. We don't know. Like, we have no idea. Were you drunk when you were driving or not? I don't know unless I ask you, you know, what bar were you at just before the accident? Like, we don't know. And so maybe that's relevant. Maybe it isn't. Got it. Got it. Have, and I know this is an awfully broad question, but like in the idea of discovery in general is, is that something that is usually pretty broad? Like, is, is it, is it common or uncommon for discovery to actually be limited when it's asked for, or or do most lawyers just play nice and know what to ask for? And it never really comes up. It it tends to be pretty broad. You you know, your ability to object to requests for documents or discovery or to answer questions is fairly limited. Uh, You know, even when you get to a deposition where, you know, you're taking a recorded statement, um, it's not a trial. The whole point of the deposition is to figure out what exactly are you going to say when I put you on the stand and when I cross-examine you. So like, let me get a look-see. And then what that information is for is if you later lie when you're actually testifying under oath, okay, now I can bring this in to impeach you because, well, when I deposed you, you said X, Y, and Z, and now you're saying A, B, and C. Okay. And so okay. like, that's why it's so important that it's an open and transparent process because it promotes everybody just being honest and not hiding the ball or lying about shit. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I'll see if I can find some of that, uh, the link offs to, to that, but, but it, that in that, in the, the, um, context of how you're explaining discovery to me like feels like again like you know some sour grapes are happening here by by sony being very public about saying i can't believe they're asking this of me isn't that terrible isn't microsoft evil for asking that in the first place when they really shouldn't even be talking about it at this early stage you know when they're asking for that information um but i don't know you know yeah i um, what am i guess i'm asking what is the like context in which this has happened. Uh, so this is okay. So it's, it, I'm actually pulling up the thing now and yeah, uh, my goodness, uh, you know, obvious harassment. It's asking the court to quash the subpoena. Well, I, they're not, this isn't a press release. This is Axios digging through court documents. And so, in fairness to Sony's legal team and to Sony, like they're not, they didn't complain about this. They wrote to the judge saying, I think this is out of bounds for what we need. Mm-hmm. So like they're, Microsoft's asking for what they think they need. Sony's fighting where they think they shouldn't have to give it up. And all of that is happening on the docket and on the FTC's website. And the news is just running with it. Got it. So I'm not going to drag Sony as much as I was originally going to, because they're doing the right thing. Like if they don't think they should give it up, they wrote to the judge and said, please tell them we don't have to give them this. Got it. Got it. And so like from that perspective, I guess that's maybe where my question was initially is like, is that a common thing where discovery is too broad and the opposing side is saying, no, I'm not going to give that up or, you know, like, especially because what you were saying before is like the, after discovery, it can be limited and not admissible during the case itself, right? Like you can have a lot of stuff on the table and then say, okay, but you can only use 40% of this because this is what's relevant. 
Yeah, I mean, there's always that aspect to it uh, of like being overbroad. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, you'll get, you know, please list uh, every doctor you've ever seen from the time you've been born to to now. And it's like, you know, overbroad. I, I don't know who my pediatrician was when I was four or, or mm-hmm. you know, who delivered me. Uh, and some of it is like that where you just have to kind of sand down the edges a little bit to get to the world of important and... Uh, you know, I, when it's two giant companies, it's just, uh, it's a little bit much, you know, because they are giant companies and they have teams of lawyers going through boxes of documents to respond to requests. So it's hard to speak to overbroad and, um, you know, reading the court document as I'm kind of scanning it as we're talking, um, it is a little attacky. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a little snarky. You know, Microsoft subpoena is truly massive. Um, but, you know, maybe they're right. They're saying that they've engaged in five different meetings with Microsoft, responded with 55 pages of written answers, um, extensive correspondence back and forth. And that's the other thing in these rules is judges generally tell, you know, litigants, try to work these out on your own. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to have to step in as a ref on discovery because again, it's not coming into my courtroom yet. Like I don't have to rule on whether or not it's admissible. This is just you guys working amongst yourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, they're calling it, um, uh, yeah, the gamesmanship and uh, inefficient and disrespectful. And I don't know, there's that old maxim for lawyers. You, you know, if you, if you have the facts, argue the facts. If you have the law, argue the law. If you have neither, slam on the table and scream really loud. <laughs> right. And so, right. you know, it's a, I'm, I don't know, but it's always a signal when I'm reading somebody else's writing. If they're making these kind of personal, like, woe is me, pearl clutching phrases in their brief, then maybe they don't have a strong case. Mm-hmm. Now, in fairness to their lawyers, these guys all get paid like $1,600 an hour. And so this could just be an opportunity for everybody on all sides to bill a whole lot and then go play golf after this dispute's over. Got it. Got it. Yes. <laughs> you're saying that this legal bill is not going to be cheap is what you're trying to tell me? I am telling you that they are going to take their whirlybirds right down to Scotland to play, you know, the back nine of some famous course and then bill for that too. Got it. Got it. Got it. That sounds. That's when they say five like meet and confers. I think that's actually what they're talking about. That that's drinking Arnold Palmer's and you know hitting the links. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's how you. That's how you lawyer. That's how you lawyer proper. That's what I've been told. Uh, that is. Uh, I will let you know if I ever get to that. Uh, I have not and um, don't intend to. Mm-hmm. Right on. Right on. Yeah. So interesting stuff here with the Activision Blizzard stuff. Still, I, I uh, <laughs> one funny thing I thought, and then I, I guess we can get close to wrapping up here. But the um, <laughs> the uh, Brad Smith that we've referenced him before. He's been a kind of a public facing Microsoft exec here. He 
somewhat theatrically uh, had a copy of the 10 year agreement that he wants to give to Sony uh, on his person when he went to Belgium and he had it in his pocket. And so when he was delivering his remarks about what he thought was supposed to happen, he actually pulled it out of his coat. Like he's on, on TV. (laughs) He's like, whenever Sony wants to sign this, I've got it right here. Like, you know, so I guess, you know, um, you know, they seem, uh, seem quite ready to hand over some call of duty. Uh, you know all the duty we've got it we've got got call of duty here call of duty there you want some modern warfare you want some world war ii what kind of call of duty you want we got it they just open up their their trench coat there's all kinds of there's just nothing but war 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 and war zone everywhere yeah it's crazy man i don't know i don't know so yeah i'm sure this is not this is clearly not over here i I believe that i read something around march or april is when the ruling finally has to come from either the eu or like i think it's there's like an expiration date on this actual deal like so they have to have solved all the problems by then in order for the deal to go through or fall apart so not much longer now we'll we'll have a proper answer on it love it well and that was uh, a wide-ranging show I think, uh, you know, it went from kind of Windows friendly, but, uh, you know, that's what we try to do. And, um, yeah, I got nothing. We, we ended on the law and that's a good place to slow down. Yes, it is. Yes. And we can take it in for a landing. Yes, absolutely. And we will be back next week with so much. I can't wait to talk about Star Wars stuff next week. We need to talk about Star Wars stuff. I have a lot of gaming on my agenda. So, you know, I kind of mainlined the Nevers to just pour through those six episodes. And, uh, you know, they were a little lengthy. But, yeah, I got to get back onto the gaming wagon. I want to finish up um, Hi-Fi Rush and move on. I think you were trying to Talk me into either the Alan Wake remake or um, Dead Space remake. So, yeah, it'll yep. be probably one of those two things, mm-hmm. um, depending yes. on playtime. Yes, yes, those both both of those remakes. I, I loved both of the originals so much, so I don't think you can go wrong in either way. Interested to see where you end up and what we talk about. Excellent. Until then, cool. See you, everybody. Bye.